Well, thank you guys for being here on a cold, wet morning. Woo! Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm a summer boy. I, I, like, I like the summer weather, man. It's just, yeah, so uh, now there are some members of our church and our scout troop that are just ecstatic about this weather. We've got over 20 folks uh, up in Maggie Valley skiing uh, this weekend. They're staying at Lake Junaluska, which is a wonderful United Methodist retreat center. Uh, in the Carolinas, and uh, so I asked Liz if they, she had heard from anybody this morning, and so Maggie Kowalchuk, who's our youth director, uh, sent Liz a video of the kids. They had to get up early to go get their ski equipment uh, and all that kind of stuff, so they were coming out of the, where they were staying, uh, and, and there's snow everywhere, and they're just having a blast. So, so uh, has anybody heard from them? I know we got anybody heard from them. Have you heard from what? How's, how are they doing? Having a great time, good, because your son and husband are on the trip, yeah, yeah, so, uh, but yeah, they're, I mean, they're so glad that they got the snow, and so that, that's exciting for them. Um, Mary and Peter, our oldest daughter and, and, and her husband, and then our two grandkids also live in North Carolina. They live in, on Black Mountain, uh, which is just east of Asheville, North Carolina, and he teaches at Montreat College which is on Black Mountain, and so we got videos this morning of them in the snow, and uh, just, you know, our two little granddaughters are just like they're almost covered in snow because it's so deep, uh, and they're sledding and everything, so they're, they're very excited about it, um, and, and rightly so, so um, if we don't get any here, some people are going to be happy, some people are going to be sad, but uh, as of right now, we don't have any, is that what, Kyle, is that what you understood, so, but, whoo, anyway, um, I was telling somebody the other day, I know I hadn't even started my sermon yet, but, but uh, I, we love to snow ski. Our, our family, you know, there was a period of time from 1989 to 2002. So all of those years, I went snow skiing each winter, which was great, whether it's being a youth director and taking a group or when we were in seminary, uh, I was a speaker at a lot of uh, trips and stuff and, and did snow skiing with the family then and then coming back and working at a church. And so th that was a lot of fun to to ski during all those periods of time. And so those who don't like snow skiing, you're saying, well, who cares, Mark? I don't care. You know, but for those who know and love snow skiing, you know, you know, it was a real joy for me. So um, gosh, I hadn't skied since. So I think 2002 was the last time I snow skied. So I don't know that I should get out there and, uh, and chance it. But um, anyway, for those guys that are up there, they're having a great time. Um, well, we're in the second week of our sermon series, and if you've got your bulletin there, it's called God's Love Time After Time. If you're worshiping with us online, we're glad that you're with us today. You're probably snuggled in on your couch or in a chair and you're inside, but uh, it's warm in here and it's cozy and we've enjoyed some good worship. But the tagline on our uh, sermon series is, what if the messy places and seasons of life are not hindrances to experiencing the presence of God, but catalysts right to his heart? Sometimes we think that the hardest times in our life and the messiest places that we get ourselves into, in those seasons, we feel like sometimes God is the furthest away, that God is nowhere close. But this idea and what we're trying to explain as we look at the whole big story of God's big picture is that in those messy times in our life, sometimes that's when God comes near to the point where you can almost reach out and touch him because his grace is there, his love is there, his desire to forgive is there, his desire to restore, his desire to, to be with us in those hard places is a part of his character. And, and uh, those might be the times when he is so near. Uh, I was thinking about that um, poem, Footprints in the Sand. Remember that one? And so this person, you know, they, they look back over their life and they see two sets of footprints theirs and then another said and that's that's God's footprints Jesus is walking with them and then there's only a set, a set of one footprints during the the toughest parts of their life and they ask 
Jesus, you know, why, why is there only one set of footprints? Thinking that, Jesus, you left me. Why did you abandon me during these difficult times in my life when there's only one set of footprints? And, and he says, oh, that's the time that I carried you. Amen. So it's that same idea as these tough places, these, these messy places in our life. Um, maybe that's a catalyst for us to go straight to the heart of God. And uh, last week, Fran did a great job of uh, looking at the big picture of God at the very beginning, establishing the fact that God is good. And we looked at, and, and we looked at his creation, uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and we saw that every time God created, at the end of the day, he said, it is good. This creation is good. And then on the sixth day, he said, it is what? Very good. And so God created a good world, and Adam and Eve were placed in a garden, and they were given the opportunity to work and, to, and to, to cultivate and to keep the garden and, and given authority to rule and, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. And so God gave them everything they needed, <clears throat> and his presence was there. He would come in the cool of the day, and he would walk with them, and they had communion with God. And at the end of chapter 2, it says they were both naked and they were not ashamed. They were not afraid. This idea of total vulnerability, this idea of, of purity and, and, and just uh, uh, connectedness, it was just a part of that creation. But today what we need to look at is the, the next step in the, the big picture. Uh, many times we, we look at um, the story and we, and we look at ourselves and say, well, what's it all about for me? And in the big picture we need to look at, you know, this is really a story, his story, God's story. So in the midst of God's creation, he, it, he created it to be good. And he created us in his image and in his likeness. So you've got Adam and you've got Eve. And in the midst of this wonderful creation, he's got the opportunity to reveal himself to them and to fellowship with them and for them to understand who he is. But if you look at your scripture, there's a couple of verses I want us to pull up uh, and highlight. Uh, if we go back into chapter 2, we see in verse 16, and that's in your bulletin, God is speaking to Adam. And the Lord commanded and said to him, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, or you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you surely shall die, or you will surely die. So out of all the things that Adam and Eve were able to do and all the beauty of God's creation they were able to enjoy, he said, here's one thing. I don't want you to eat from this tree because when you eat from this tree, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to understand experientially evil. You're going to understand good because I'm good and you're experiencing good now. But, but if your eyes are open, if you experience this, if you, if you take that step, if you disobey what I'm asking you to do and, and not do, then you're, you've crossed a line and you're going to experience evil for yourself. And the result of that is going to be your death. It's going to, it, the, the, in, in the New Testament, Romans talks about the, the, the consequences of sin, the wages of sin. What you get if you sin is death. And so God's trying to protect Adam and Eve. And so that's the only restriction on, on everything they, they had to do. And they, they had a great life, a wonderful life. They, things were going great. And then chapter 3, it says that now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from the tree in the garden? And verse 2 said, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. So as we look at that verse, we see that Eve is confronted by this crafty serpent, this, this personification of, of temptation. And, and the question is, you know, can, can you do anything you want to do? 
And she said, yeah, we can do pretty much anything we want to do except one thing. There's one thing we really don't need to do, and that is to, to, to partake of, of the fruit of this one particular tree. And then she added, and we don't even need to touch it. Now, in chapter 2, God didn't say you couldn't touch it. But I think in our human understanding, whether they added to it or not, that makes sense to me because if, if you know, if you don't want your child to do something, you kind of you put parameters on that, and then sometimes you back it off a little bit and say, well, don't even touch this, you know, because uh, you might say, well, don't play with this. You can play with this for a little while, for five minutes, but then it's like, no, no, to keep from breaking it, why don't, why don't you just don't even touch it? So I can understand that, that Adam might have said to Eve, hey, listen, we're not going to eat from that tree, but, but let's don't even touch it. Let's don't even tempt ourselves that way. Let's don't even go there. So that's kind of what she said to him is, is that, you know, we're not supposed to even touch it. Well, the bottom line is, uh, in that, the serpent could have said, wow, that's pretty good. Man, you got all this freedom, and you got all this great kind of stuff going on in your world, and that's really all you don't have to worry about. But that's not what he said, right? And you know the story, but if you don't know the story, let's go ahead and keep reading. Uh, so the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of the tree, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what he's saying is, now... Did God really say you're going to die if you touch this tree, if you eat from this tree? Here's the fact. God knows something that you don't know. He knows this. If you eat from that tree, your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to know as much as God knows about this good and evil thing. And so the subtle lie that he's saying to Eve and the subtle lie that Adam embraced as well was this. God is holding out on you. Can you really trust God in everything? Because he knows something you don't know and he doesn't want you to know it because he wants to be the only one who knows that. That's not fair, is it? So these subtle temptations, these subtle lies that, that the serpent is telling Eve begins to cause her to doubt. Can I really trust God? Is God holding out on me? Is there something that I should have that I deserve that, that ought to be mine that I don't have now? And, 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 and God is keeping me from that? And that's what the serpent is telling her as you read between the lines. And then as we continue to read, and you'll see this in your bulletin, verse 6. Well, let me read between the lines again. So, so now she starts thinking, okay, I'm not supposed to even touch this. I'm not supposed to even, but let me, let me think about this. Let me consider this. Let me, let me ponder this a little bit. Let me, let me kind of entertain the thought of, of eating this tree. When Adam and I were like, no, we're not going to do that. Man, we're going to stay away from this thing. We're not, you know, we, everything's good. Why should we mess things up? But if God's holding out on me, maybe I, ought to think of, maybe I ought to think about this thing a little bit. Maybe I ought to reason in my mind about this. And so as she began to open the door, this is what she does. She saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So let me stop there. That doesn't mean the other trees in the garden weren't beautiful. Okay, that doesn't mean the other trees weren't desirable to eat. That doesn't mean that God created all these things and this one thing they couldn't have was the most beautiful, was the most tantalizing, was the most mouth-watering thing. You know, 
that's not what it means. The other tree, I mean, if you think about an apple tree, man, that's a pretty nice thing. And that, we don't think this is an apple tree necessarily, but the apple's been used. But then, man, when you think about some other, you look at a peach tree, you think about all these other things, you know, it's not like this was the most beautiful tree of all the trees in the, in the, in the garden. But, so she starts thinking about, well, maybe I ought to do this. And so when she does, what God created uh, was beautiful. And so she takes some of the fruit and she eats it. And then she gives it also to her husband with her and he ate. Now, a lot of theologians will take that word, that, that phrase in the, in the Hebrew, with her, and they believe that what it means is Adam was right there the whole time the serpent was deceiving Eve. And so when she took it, she just gave it to him. She didn't have to take it back to wherever they were living and go, man, this is so good. I got it off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and, and just, just taste it. You know, so the idea was, man, Adam was right there. So there's been a lot of speculation. Why didn't Adam say something? When God gave them dominion over the fish, the sea, and the birds of the sky, when God gave them the ability to, to cultivate the world, when God gave them everything they needed, in that same sense, God gave them the ability at that time of testing and temptation to resist that and to speak to that temptation and say, no way. And some kids would say, no way, Jose. <laughs> you know? But the idea of, no, no, we're not going to do this. We can trust God. God is our source. God, God has given us everything we need. So they had the ability at that time to resist that, but they didn't. And so then, verse 7, their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin coverings. So at the time that they broke God's law, at the time that they rebelled against his commands, at the time when they embraced the temptation and, and partook of something God said not to do, there was a change that took place. And every time we disobey God, every time, and the word sin is the descriptive word for what they did and what we do when we disobey God, every time we do something that God says not to do, every time we sin, there's a change that takes place. There, there's a, a shifting in a relationship. If you do something against your spouse, if you do something against a coworker, if you do something against someone else and, and you sin against them, there's, there's a, a change that's in the dynamic. It's, it's, it's hurt. It's, it's, it's altered. It's not as it was before. And so the Scripture says that when we break God's law, when we sin, there's a separation between us and God. So our relationship with God is fractured. And so many times in our mind we think, okay, that separation means God goes as far as he can away from us. And, the, and that idea that, you know, it, it keeps us from thinking that in these messy places, in these hard places, God's nowhere around. It, it makes us think, okay, because there, there's a separation, our relationship's fractured, our relationship is broken, then, then God is the one who's turned and left us. But I believe the scripture teaches is when we sin and we, and we have that uh, altering of the of relationship, it's... it's you and me who've turned our back on God. It's you and me who've doubted God. It's you and me who've moved away from God. It's not God saying, I'm getting out of here because you guys, you, you guys have messed up. God is still there, and we'll see in just a minute how God responds. God is still there saying, hey, let's work this out. If you'll come to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive you. I'm going to release you from this burden and this guilt, and I'm going to restore this relationship. God is the one who's taking that first step toward us. Well, we see when, when God does come, verse 8, in the cool of the evening to, to fellowship with his creation, as he did, they hear him, and what do they do? 
they hide, right? When you've done something wrong and somebody maybe that you've done something wrong to and that relationship is altered, man, you just, you, you, you just don't want to hang around them you, because you know that something or you're embarrassed or you're, you're guilty and you feel that way. And you, So I, I remember I served under a, a wonderful pastor named Buddy Cooper who's, who lives in the Columbus area and, and I was his associate pastor for six years and he tells this story and I love it so I'm going to share it with you. I think I've already shared it with you once at some point. But his dad was a traveling salesman, and his dad would leave on a Monday and come back on a Friday, and, and Buddy would do pretty good during the week. But the weeks that he messed up, maybe he got in trouble at school or whatever it might have been, uh, he knew that when his dad got home on Friday, his mother was going to tell his dad, and then his dad was going to come, and there was going to be some kind of disciplinary action or something that, that took place. And so the weeks that Buddy did good, when he heard his dad's car coming down the driveway, what did Buddy do? Man, he went out the door. He, went, he, could, he couldn't wait to see his dad. He missed him all week long, and he, and he was looking forward to seeing him. Dad, let me tell you what I did this week. Oh, my goodness, let's go fishing. I got the fishing poles ready or whatever it might have been that they were going to do. Uh, <clears throat> but the, the weeks that Buddy got in trouble, and uh, I'm not saying it was every week because he didn't imply that, but the weeks that Buddy didn't do what he was supposed to do or got in trouble at school or whatever it might have been, when he heard the car coming down the driveway, because he knew he was going to get in trouble or because he knew that relationship that, that there was, you know, he, he would go to his room. And when his dad drove up, he knew, okay, well, Buddy's, been, buddy's in trouble. But what did Buddy do? So he'd go inside, his mom would tell him, and then he'd have to come into the room and talk to Buddy. But it's this idea of how do we respond when we're guilty? How do we respond when we've done something wrong? We don't run to God many times. We, just like Adam and Eve, we, we want to hide. We want to say, oh, God, I just... I, I, I'm, I'm guilty, I'm embarrassed, or whatever it might be that, 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 that our, our actions have done. And so that's natural. That's just, that's just how we are. And so they, they hid from God, and God was aware of all of this. And, and, and when they finally interact with God, they said, we hid from you because we knew we were naked. And he said, who told you that? Now, he knew, but he knew now that they've experienced evil. They've experienced the the, the, the ramifications of being in a, in a life that is uh, separated from the goodness of God. And so they, they, uh, there's some consequences, and God talks to, to uh, them about that. Um, we won't talk a lot about this, but, man, when, when God talks to Eve and says, or talks to Adam, hey, man, what, what's going on? He, he blamed Eve, right? The woman you gave me. And then when he talks to Eve, Eve, what's going on? She said, well, the serpent. You know, so, so there's a lot of blame shifting going on. A lot of times we do that, right? You know, we do that as kids. If something's broken and you broke it and your parents say, hey, did you break this? What do you say? Many times we say, because we want self-preservation, no, I don't know who did that. I don't know, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and that's just part of that human nature, that, that sinful nature. We, we want to protect ourselves. We want to, and so some of it, self-preservation, we, 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 we'll lie, we'll blame shift, we'll do, and that's what they did. And so uh, at the very end of all of this and the, and the, the, the cost that, that was... Uh, the toll of all of that, uh, God begins to um, reach out in grace. And he says, yeah, there's, there's an issue that's, that's happened here, and there's, and there's consequences to your actions. But then what does God do? The Bible says that God makes clothes for them out of animal skins and, and clothes their nakedness. And, uh, and if you read between the lines, where did God get that animal skin? Well, an innocent animal had, had to die for them to be clothed. And it's a forerunner to the sacrificial system that we see in the Old Testament because the soul that sins will die 
But the shedding of innocent blood will make atonement for sin. And so that's how God set it up. So there was this sacrificial system. So there, an animal, animal had to die for Adam and Eve to be clothed, to, be free, to, to have that uh, relationship back with God restored. And then God, in his mercy and in his grace, he didn't drive them out of the Garden of Eden for punishment. He says, listen, if they eat of the tree of life and they live for eternity in this state, of their sinfulness, then that's not a good thing. So, and he, and he put guards around the tree, and so they, they weren't able to eat the tree that's going to allow them to live for eternity. And so, um, in that, we see God's mercy because he says, I want them to live for eternity, and they will live for eternity, but not in this sinful state. I'm going to do something to allow them to be forgiven. I'm going to do something, and that's Jesus coming. That's part of the story that we'll talk about another Sunday. But, this, but this, this plan of redemption that God created for us to, to, to live for eternity with him and for our sins to be forgiven is a part of God's mercy, a God, part of God's plan. Let me jump to the New Testament real quick because John picks up on the same idea in 1 John chapter 2, and this is verse 15 and verse 16. John writes to the churches and he says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So what John is trying to help the church understand and what God is trying to help us understand is that in the world, and we're not talking about God's creation. So he says, don't, he's not saying don't love planet earth, okay? He says don't love the world, and the idea of world means the human system that is void of God's influence and God's authority and God's lordship. So if we, if we remove God and if we just do our own thing and humanism takes over and, and our will, our desire, who we are takes over, then we're going to be in a place like in Genesis 6 where Noah has to, you know, build an ark. Things get so bad without God's mercy, God's kindness, God's gentleness, God's tenderness, God's presence. Because in, just like in Noah's day, the intent of man's heart is only wicked and that's all it is. We talked about that two weeks ago. So this, this understanding, this truth is, is that God says, you know what? I don't want you to embrace a life that is void of me. I don't want you to live by your own wits. I don't want you to, 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 to rely on your own understanding, on your own wisdom. I'm going to give you what you need. And if you'll trust me, if you'll believe me, if you'll embrace what I tell you is right and wrong, then you'll have life and have joy. And so John knows this, and Jesus taught that. So John says, listen, don't love how the world lives, how people that aren't ruled by God, don't, don't, don't do the things that they do. He says, because here's what you find in the world. And it's the same thing that she found when she looked at the trees. But it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So the lust of the flesh, she saw that it was good for food. And so the world, many times the, the motive, the drive of being uh, driven by the lust of your flesh, what, what does your flesh want? What is your, what is your well, we, we want to eat, right? We want to indulge. We want, we want to satisfy our, our senses and our passions. And so if these aren't chained to God, if these aren't um, uh, under the lordship of Jesus, then, then our, our cravings, our, our fleshly body, man, we'll just... We'll just be very immoral. We'll, we'll do things that only gratify ourselves. We'll, we'll be so, so selfish. And I see that in children all the time. They've got two toys, and that third toy, they could share it with someone else. But what do they do? No, that's mine. 
All of these toys are mine. And then another child or a sibling comes up, you know, and, and, and it's like, no, these are mine. Well, no, there's, there's more than one. Share. And so, no, no, I, I want this for mine. And so we've, we've well, I don't want to throw our grandkids under the bus, but, but every kid is like that, you know. And so um, let me just tell you, in theory, what you could do is you could say, well, if this is a very special toy for you, then put it in a special place. And if your sibling wants to play with this special toy, then say, no, this is special, and these other toys can play. Well, guess what happens? Every toy becomes special. No, that's my special toy. No, that's my special toy. That's my special toy. No, you can't. So, no, all of them can't be your special toy because you got to share with your siblings. So that might happen in somebody's world um, and uh, that kind of thing. But this, uh, the left is the flesh. What does your flesh want? Well, we want mine, 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 more, 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 bigger, 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 better, better. But we want that. That's just, you know, how our sinful nature is. And sin entered in the world, in that chapter when they disobeyed God, we call that the original sin. And, and from that, we all know that we, we uh, pass that on. So the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, this idea of, of what you see and what you want, uh, it, it's just, you know, it's just, gosh, I want that. Or I want that. I want the new one. I, you know, so, so it ties in with the, this, this fleshly desire, this, these cravings, these longings, um, whatever your eyes delights. Now, there was a guy in the Old Testament, and uh, his situation was amazing. He had more money than anybody else. He was very wise, um, very, very famous, extremely famous. And he writes in one of the books in the Bible, and he said, everything that my eye saw, I did not withhold from it. In other words, and this is Solomon, he said, everything I saw, if I wanted it, I got it. If I wanted that, then it, could, it was mine. He was the king, he was wealthy, he was famous. I didn't withhold anything that I wanted, and he he got what he wanted. And as he writes that, he says, you know what? All of that was vanity. All of that was striving after the wind. None of those things that I, that I embraced and I got truly satisfied me. And that blows our mind because we think, well, gosh, if that's the case, if I, if I could get anything I wanted, surely I'd be happy, right? Surely I'd be satisfied. Surely I would, I would be like, you know, this... I'm good. Not, not like morally good, but no, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, everything's cool. But he said, no, that's, that's that sinful part of us. This, this lust never stops. It ne you, you, the craving, you, never, you, you want more and more. Uh, Rockefeller, back in the turn of the century, was one of the wealthiest men in the history of the world. And he's just probably, you know, Solomon was a lot more wealthy. But they asked him because he had an oil company and he had other things. And he was worth, in our days, billions and billions and billions. And something, I think like... $200 billion. I don't know what it was. It was just, I can't remember. I read it years ago. But he was asked one time, how much is enough? And you know what he said? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. He had more money than anybody. And in today's world, he would have been the wealthiest man. I mean, none of the other guys could, could even compare. If you take his money in that day and you take it in $2,022, and he said, you know, the, I've got enough. No, he said, you know what? Just a little bit more. And, that, and that's just, just how the sin has taken it. We, we, just, we just want more. We want more. We want more. And so John writes and says, man, don't love the world because if we're, if we're not ruled by God, if we don't let the Holy Spirit uh, help us with contentment and things like that, then the lust of the flesh, we're going to overindulge. We're going to do this. We're going to be selfish. 
in, in the lust of our eyes. Man, we're just we're gonna we're gonna want everything we see, and we're not gonna be happy with this, and, and but we're gonna want that, and we're gonna want that, and 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 then he said the boastful pride of life. So she saw that the food was good to eat, that it would make her wise, and and so this idea of, of the boastful pride of life is. You know, we, we do things because we want to be recognized, or we do things because we want to be famous, or we do things because we want to be rich, or we do things because it makes us feel better than that person, or we do things because it makes us look better than that person. And, and so this boastful pride, this arrogance, that's just something that we have to deal with in, in, in this sinful world and what, what the world is, the world that he's talking about there, you know, you, you see it all the time, the competitiveness and the, and the pettiness and, and all of those things. He says, don't, don't live in that. Live in the kingdom where God rules. Live in the kingdom where you'd, you would rather exalt someone else and, and help them become successful than push them down so you can become successful. And so this idea of, of Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. This idea of being generous and saying, no, I want more, I want more, I want more. Why would I share this? Because that gives me less. No, God, God says if you give, then it's going to be given back to you. He said, if you scatter your seeds broadly, you know, you're going to reap a bigger harvest. And this idea of generosity, this idea of forgiveness, man, why would you forgive somebody because they've hurt you? No, you want to get them back in the world's economy. All that's in the world would be revenge, revenge, revenge. They hurt me. I want to hurt them. That's why an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is merciful. If someone takes out your tooth, you don't kill them. You, you can only just take out their tooth, which is bad enough, but, but, but it's, there, there's a reciprocal types, types of things. You know what I'm saying? So even in God's economy in the Old Testament, it's like, no, don't, just, just because you know, somebody you know, uh, breaks your arm, you, you can't kill them for that. You, you don't want to break their arm. And, but, 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 but revenge is like, no, man, they did that to me. I'm going to get them worse. And I'm going to get them worse. And then when does it end? It doesn't end because that person, you've hurt them, but now they're mad. They're, they can take it on that offense. So they're going, to, they're going to get you back. And now that person that you got back, this per, you know, it just gets crazy. And, and you see that in the world. We see that in the times of Noah. And, and it just, it just, so, so John says, no, don't let, don't let how people that aren't governed by God rule your life. Don't embrace their tendencies. Don't, don't live by their standards. Don't live by their rules. But, but do the things that Jesus said. Live in the kingdom of God and let the Holy Spirit guide you and rule you and, and trust God in all things. And he says, I know what's best for you. This is good and this is not good. So please don't do that because if you do that, there's, there's, there's results that, that, that aren't going to be good for you. And, and live into this. So as Fran talked about last week, God is good. And sometimes we look at the world and we don't see good. We, we don't see kindness. We don't see tenderness. And she told a story about this young lady from Cambodia. And, and, and we see injustice and we see harm and we see, we see just, just horrible, horrible abuse. And why is that in the world if there's a loving God? Well, in chapter 3, we understand that God does love us. And God gives us the ability to choose. And he said, here's what I want you to do, but don't do that. But God didn't stop him from doing that. And God won't stop you, and God won't stop me. He gives us the ability to choose. Now, in that choice, there's consequences. And in those choices, we are to stand before a judging God, a God who is righteous and a God who will, who will judge. And in Christ, he's taken our, our judgment. But he gives us the freedom to choose and to do good and to be like him in this world. But there's, there's evil because people are living in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. 
And there's other reasons for evil, but that is a huge, huge cause. And it doesn't mean God's not good. And it doesn't mean God doesn't want what's best for us. But we, we don't let God govern our life and rule our life and live in obedience to him. And we doubt him and we, we want to do our own thing. Whew, we just get in trouble. But when we surrender and we love and we respect and we live for God, then that Garden of Eden that he created for Adam and Eve can, can be a part of our world. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God is in your midst, we can experience that. Amen. Let me pray for us.